0: It's our good friend Al back. Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning, Karen. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm kind of looking forward to the the, uh, spring. Uh, Yesterday, I guess, was the official meteorological spring, and then the other spring that we count on the calendar is in, I think, 18 days.
1: I told a goldfinch that was at the feeder here that uh, yesterday, I told him spring had begun, and it seems stunned, but uh, I think maybe it <laughs> believes leave me there. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a beautiful day. To, it is certainly windy, uh, but uh, that's the way life goes, I guess. You know, I survived that stretch of minus 20 degrees weather, and it, it apparently you did, too. So that's really good news. And those kind of temperatures are the ones we'll be telling someone about this summer. When it's hot, we'll say, oh... Remember back in February, (laughs) how cold did it get? And then we'll argue about it and we'll get out our phones and try to look (laughs) up and have difficulty finding because it's hard sometimes. I know some people are really good at that, but there's... There's like 9,000 weather sites, and you go on there and you say, what was the temperature, what was the coldest temperature ever in March in in Conger, Minnesota? And you know, somewhere out there there's something that's going to tell you that, but it's really, really hard to find those things. So do you hear, when I was a boy, every year I heard March came in like a lion, so it's going out like a lamb or vice versa.
0: Well, yes. In fact, I, I talked about that yesterday, and I said, well, uh, Albat will probably be able to, to let us know what the situation is going to be because technically I think it was like a lamb. Yesterday, sort of. Yes, boy, is
1: I, yeah. I certainly thought it was, and I, I don't know if there's any <laughs> truth, any kind of truth to any of that. I think it came in like a cardinal this year. <laughs> what does a that red mean, cardinal? <laughs> there were four cardinals in a hawthorn tree in my yard. Mm. Four of them. I'm still celebrating. I've seen more than that in a tree before, and I know some listeners have had trees just festooned with cardinals, but. I've never had four in one tree in my yard ever before. So it's just, oh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Driving, I had to run into town to the post office to mail a package, and I saw some robins. And the the vast majority of robins move south in the winter. However, some stick around, and then they move around. Fruit is a robin's winter food source. And as the ground thaws in the spring, they switch to earthworms and some other insects. And while robins may arrive when the average daily temperature isotherms reach 37 degrees, it's because their food becomes available, not because the robins need that warm a temperature. Uh, Because some over winter here, they might not be a true harbinger of spring, but, boy, I enjoy seeing them even when they're not bob-bob-bobbing along. I saw a muskrat, I can't remember what day that was, uh, doing a walkabout. I would think it was in February, definitely, and I think it had probably run out of food and was forced to venture from its house. Uh, Muskrats aren't rats. I know a lot of people, when I was a kid, people trapped them, and they always called them rats. they're much smaller than beavers. Uh, muskrats, two to four pounds, maybe. Uh, beavers, thirty to seventy pounds. How many garden catalogs have you gotten, Karen?
0: <laughs> wow, um, not counting duplicates. Uh, I, <laughs> I I don't even know. You know, I started getting them way back, and and they keep piling up on a chair. And I, I tend to do a lot of looking online too and every time they come my husband and I fight to see who gets to look at it first he's like oh and then he'll hide it Um, so a lot I I just know there's a lot and you know my mom used to take those and she when she was you know in the nursing home she used to take and cut the pretty flowers out and make cards out of them so you know you can reuse them and and that was kind of a fun thing but uh, a lot so we
1: used to get them too and there was White's flowers I believe which was just the most strikingly beautiful catalog but we'd get burpee and gurney and everybody in the family would get their own catalog oh (laughs) wow and then sometimes they'd mail me like three of them yeah a couple years i'd just drop them a little note and say you know thanks i appreciate the (laughs) catalog but you don't yeah you don't need to send me you could save all kinds of money this will probably be in the black if you don't send me three but they were always such wonderful things to look at, and I just, I we'd sit down and look at them. You'd kind of map out the garden, and there were always new things that you'd read about in there. Right, and you'd say, "Boy, we we should try these." And uh, I believe Johnny's was one of our favorites that mm-hmm. we used to get. And then, was there a pine cone or something like that, that where you could get the small?
0: Yes, that's a pine cone's a good one. You know, there's one I can't remember the company, but it's all in black and white. I think they like to make it like look like retro. I absolutely hate that one because it's sketches <laughs> of the plants in black and white. And when I see a picture, I want to see what it really looks like. And so, I that's one I just don't like. And I don't know if you've ever got that one, but it's it's like an, a black and white illustrated thing. No fun, it's oh. you can order from it. But I just don't like it. You know, there's there's the uh, baker's heirloom one too and you can actually buy that for like twelve bucks or something from a bookstore and that's that's like almost like a Sears wow. catalog and it's got great information but um it's kinda spendy. <laughs> I like I like the free ones.
1: I love gardens. Uh I love gardening. I love I love song sparrows, and every garden has a song sparrow to keep it company. And maybe my favorite writer, uh, E.B. White, he's Mm -hmm. certainly right up there in the top three. He wrote The Song Sparrow, Who Knows How Brief and Lovely Life Is, Says Sweet, Sweet, Sweet Interlude, Sweet, Sweet, Sweet Interlude. And I love the song, Sparrows. We were talking about signs of spring, and I think I mentioned killdeer. If I didn't, I should have. Uh, Killdeer are shorebirds that don't need a beach. And they call out their names, which is just a wonderful thing. But another sign is the return of the Red Winged Blackbirds. I love hearing the males singing, look at me from a preferred prominent perch. They could be singing, the boys are back in town. But <laughs> their songs remind me of Simon and Garfunkel's Homeward Bound. Home is where, where's my home where my thoughts escaping home where my music's playing home where my love lies waiting silently for me and the females are silent because they generally return later than the males I filled the seed dispensary units with sunflower seeds these are small vending machines dispense bird food when the company of a bird is there And Native Americans domesticated the sunflower around 1,000 B.C. About 75% of the North American sunflower seed crop is produced in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. So we're keeping, uh, keeping those birds fed. I bet a lot of you, and I think you talked about it, Karen, the number of monarch butterflies at their winter roosting grounds in central uh, Mexico, mm-hmm. they decreased by about 26%. Yeah, this year.
0: and that really disappointed me because I know there are a lot of people out there like me who are trying to plant more pollinators and that sort of thing. So to hear the number went down kind of broke my heart.
1: Yeah, and uh, many trees were lost to illegal logging, drought, and other causes in central Mexico. So the butterfly population there covered 5.2 acres in 2020. That was compared to 6.9, I believe, in 2019 and 14.95 acres in 2018. And why do they go by that? Because these monarchs, they cluster just densely, I guess, would be about the only word you could come in there with in pine and fir trees. And how are you going to count them individually? It would be impossible. So they kind of estimate by acres. And scientists estimate that 15 acres of forest canopy is needed to sustain the monarch population. Tim Scott sent me a thing from uh, the New York Times that says it's astonishing how relentlessly Western philosophy has strained to prove we are not squirrels. (laughs) Our resemblance to squirrels doesn't have to be interpreted as a threat to our self-image. Instead, it could be seen as a hopeful sign that we will someday be better at tree leaping. I think that's a, a hopeful thing there. Tim also sent something from the BBC about a bird there's there seems to be a news report every year on these it's a cardinal is half female and half male this one was photographed in pennsylvania so uh, the it's bright red on one side and then that kind of oh, pale brown on the other uh tom Jesson of medelia says well here was an unexpected midwinter nature adventure last night before crawling into bed i noticed one of our cats pounding away with his paw at something under the blanket it's never a good sign when they do that (laughs) i lifted a blanket and found a live paper wasp crawling around although very slowly finally figured out it must have hitched a ride in from the woodshed there was a nest out there all last fall, but I thought for sure they would have all frozen solid by now. Anyway, extra helping of k- sardine treats for Bucky. Who says black cats <laughs> are bad luck? Save exactly. me from a good sting. Yeah, <laughs> And that's what we have here, too, pearls a black cat. Uh, Brian Weller of Wasika saw a possum doing a walkabout in his yard, uh, both Brian's yard and the possum's yard. Uh, Ruth Searle of Woodbury said, Al, I have a quick question for you, my guru of all things nature. Wow. Uh, Ruth says, I have this robin's nest left over from last year. Yes, it's on a support beam under my deck. And yes, they raised two broods last year. Is it a good idea to leave it so the parents can use it again this year? Haven't looked inside to see what condition it is in. It's possible, but not likely that they'll reuse it, Ruth. They certainly do, but it's pretty rare, I think. They might nest in the same location, so it might seem like they've used the same one. Old nests, they crumble during the winter. Uh, Parasite eggs or larvae may overwinter in a nest and attack any nestlings. And female robins. They have this powerful impulse to build a new nest each year. So they want their own place. They, they want it want to tidy.
0: You know, Al, I've got a question about that. When you see an old nest, should you remove it or should you leave it because of the parasites and things? Because sometimes I've seen some, you know, the old robin's nest or little bird's nest in trees that are left over. And I think about the, the lice or mice, mites or whatever it is in there that could get to them <clears> next year. So you, should you leave them or should you get rid of them? Like let them start fresh.
1: Yes, you could do either one. Oh, okay. They uh, they typically will not use those. Uh, oh, okay. So they'll kind of go away. So you can you can take them down out of there. A good deal of a uh, number of them fall down anyway, mm-hmm. but they are not going to be used. That said, uh, during the season, sometimes I've seen mourning doves come in. Oh and build a nest over a current robin nest. A a current, by that I mean they'd raised a brood out of there already and then gone off and built another nest somewhere else. So a morning dove came in and built one of those. I had to clear my throat because to call those a nest is, (laughs) I'm kind of stretching a little bit because they don't, they don't build a good nest, morning doves. But they built a nest over a robin's nest, and I've seen that a couple of times. And the morning dove probably thinks that's the greatest, greatest thing they've ever seen. Maybe
0: it's like we do, where you have a mattress and a, you don't put like a you put like a a cover over top. It's sort, of, it's sort of like a nest, but it's a cover, covering. There you go.
1: Yeah, and this uh, morning dove would have a nest that you would not be able to see the eggs from below it so that's an incredible thing for a morning dove. Uh, Susan Kennedy said a pair of chickadees were inspecting one of my birdhouses on the last day of February. All nesting materials are still frozen, however, so just shopping, I guess. They could be doing that, Susan, but, boy, we had some cold weather in February, so they could have, they use winter roosts. So they will use cavities as winter roosts, and when it gets really severely low temperatures, a number of chickadees might all gather in one cavity for warmth. Uh, Eric Anikstead said, Al, do you know any good tracking site for the Sandhill crane migration? I haven't found any yet. The migration must be underway soon. And Eric, there's a number of them that kind of track and they show the the path they go, or they put uh, a radio collar on a, a band on a bird, and I don't know of any really good, but the best I found is Rose Audubon Sanctuary in Minden, it's not far from Kearney, and the Crane Trust in Wood River, and here's why I think they're the best. The Crane Counts at the Crane Trust, if you go to Trust, one word, .org, You'll find, I, I don't know how often they do it, they do them at least weekly, and then I think, you know, when it gets into the busy season, they'll do it more often. But it shows a number of cranes on the Platte River. They do counts. The other one, there's a crane cam at Rose Sanctuary. And it's at explore.org, and they have these live cams, and this from the National Audubon Society backslash crane camera. But I think if you just go to Rose Sanctuary and maybe do a search for crane cam, but anyway, you get a live shot of the river showing what's on that river now. So you'll see cranes and all kinds of ducks and you'll hear red-winged blackbirds singing and it's just a it's a really cool thing and it's up and going. So those are the best I I can find Eric and I hope these prove helpful.
0: As you were talking <clears throat> about that, I looked at the Decora Eagle cam <clears throat> here and and it's basically a picture of the nest and nothing else in the tree. So I don't know if they leave that on all year when there's nothing going on, but should something be happening in that nest pretty soon? Because it's just like a bunch of sticks with a little grass on top right now as I'm looking at it.
1: Yeah, and they're probably adding things to the nest any time now. I would think. Well, when do they usually?
0: Yeah, when do they usually lay their eggs soon? Or
1: yes, very soon. Oh, wow! And. Especially in decor 'cause they're a little ways south of us mm-hmm. here. So I know uh the DNR camera and it I believe it's in the Twin Cities area several years ago. they had a obviously a young pair, at least one of them was young, probably the female, and she laid eggs in January, which was much too early, and they didn't do well, Aww. but we'll be seeing them it varies so much with these birds, you know, so uh, March is a a time when you think of a lot of them laying eggs, so a uh, cool thing, and I don't know when they fire that baby up. I should know. Uh, down in Decorah but they try to get it about the time I would think where they're adding to the nest and doing the whole pair bonding thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well as there I'm is- looking at this now it, it it says it's live and it says there's 206 people watching it so if people are just watching this you can see you can see the grass blowing in on this nest and nothing else so I guess you know you never know when it might pop by so and there's a lot of these these bird cams around all over the nation so it's kind of fun just to google it and just watch and see what's going on
1: You could uh, watch, and I picture a lot of people sitting in their cubicles or their office (laughs) that are supposed to be working, and they got this up for kind of a, you know, a screensaver sort of thing on there, and instead they're just sitting there, I wonder where the eagles are. (laughs) And you could put one on, the problem with putting the crane cam one on there, it'd be so noisy, you'd have to mute it, otherwise your boss would hear you and say, what in the world are you doing there?
0: Hey, before you there go on, I just we got a yeah. caller, and Dwayne took the call while we were on the air. Michael from St. Peter called, and he has a question for you. He said sure. he, he had bats in his attic over the summer, and he's wondering if they are likely still there or if they migrated because he's considering plugging up the hole, and he doesn't want to shut them in. Good question.
1: It is, and uh, they could be bats in there, but it's it's probably pretty unlikely that they'd be in there now and that's um That's good uh, because, boy, I love, I love bats and I tell everybody with my name. I really, (laughs) I really didn't get a a choice on this. I just, uh, I love bats and I grew up, they were in the walls of my room and I I could tell when they came and when they left at night, you know, and probably if they got back early, they, they probably had a really good hunting and they didn't need to hang out there all night. So, I I
0: would how do you where do you they know, go and is, when do they usually leave if they leave?
1: Some bats migrate and some will go to uh depending on our our species of bats, they oh. will go to other places like mines and everything like that. We get uh, two species of bats that are primarily in our houses a uh, big brown bat and a little brown bat are the two. And they will enter houses in spring and fall, uh, big brown bats they I think they like it cooler mm. and they can take much colder temperatures and they're more active later in the fall than the little brown. They both require fairly constant temperature and humidity during hibernation. Little browns are likely to hibernate in caves, so they're the ones going to leave our houses. Big browns will. They will go into attics and eave areas. Uh, Some people have even said they've had them in abandoned birdhouses. I don't know if that, uh, that can't happen very often. But it's, you know, the best thing, I guess, on so many of those things is to maybe call a professional. I know there's people that do that uh i don't know how many are in there there's probably a few but uh if you've seen any around on a nice warm winter day because sometimes you'll see them sometimes they'll come down in the house they'll just make a wrong turn from the attic but big brown bats are the ones that would be in there at this time of year
0: so really and the only I way wish- he can tell is to to either call somebody to go up there and look at it or, or go up in the attic himself to really to see and where would you look are they hiding under or behind beams or something under insulation or where do they usually hang
1: out yeah i I used to go up in the attic to look for them. Oh. And you had to be careful because we had one of those doors that you opened, you pushed up, and yeah. then it, it opened into the attic, and there would be bat guano. So oh. I'd push it up with a broom, and then the stuff would fall down, and I'd have to use the broom to sweep it all up so I didn't get yelled at. And they would be on the ceilings of the attic and on the, the walls of the attic, and they'd be kind of stuck to those walls. And this was usually in the, the summertime when I was going up there bothering them when I probably shouldn't have been, but I was curious. But the uh, that's where I'd find them. And the hibernation season for bats begins in the fall, probably in October, around in there. And it ends in the spring. So when the hibernation ends, it'd be, well, now March, April, and May, probably. So those are... And again... Uh, the big brown bat will also hibernate in caves, but they do like houses for that. So
0: so he should so not man. plug up to the hole until he knows for sure, or they'll probably die in there and stink it up. Is that what you're saying, to wait before yeah. you plug it
1: yeah, up? I, I suppose that could certainly happen. Uh, again, they're probably not in there, but you know how probably works <laughs> not very well. So it I wish I had a better answer for you. And without getting in there and seeing, you know, if you can look in there and tell they're not in there, then I would certainly plug that hole before they get back because they'll be waking up probably a little later this month or maybe not until April or even May. Some of them that are up north away probably sleep in a little bit longer.
0: You would ask about if you should plug the holes up in your house because you know you had bats last year and you weren't sure if they were there. Well, here's what Al found for you. He looked it up, and this is the official word. Carefully examine your home for holes that might allow bats entry into your living quarters. Caulk any openings larger than a quarter inch by a half an inch and use window screens, chimney caps, and draft guards beneath doors to attics. Fill your electrical and plumbing holes with stainless steel wool or caulking and ensure that all doors to the outside close tightly and prevent bats from roosting in attics or buildings by covering outside entry points. Observe where the bats exit at dusk and keep them from coming back by loosely hanging clear plastic sheeting or bird netting over these areas. Bats can crawl out and leave but cannot re-enter. When all the bats are gone, the openings can be permanently sealed avoid doing this from may through august so uh, now i guess it'll be a good time because it's not may so avoid doing this from may through august if there are young bats in your attic many of them can't fly keeping the adults out will trap the young who will die or try to make their way into your rooms most bats leave in the fall or winter to hibernate so these are the best times to bat proof your home and that is from the batman himself al bat so I hope uh, Michael is still listening from St. Peter, and I hope that bit of advice from Al is helpful to you. And another one that came at a call at the end of the show, and Dwayne shared this with me while I was chatting with Al and closing up the show. Jim from Lake Washington called to uh, wanted to let Al know this. He said he was from Lake Washington, and he was driving by Lake Emily, and he saw six swans landing on a pond in a field adjacent to the lake. So I'm assuming that must have been some open water there as things are melting a little bit. So that's pretty cool, six swans. I just got an email from Nancy who says the Minnesota DNR eagle cam shows a nesting eagle sitting on at least two eggs for the past week or so. So uh, apparently our Minnesota eagle is ahead of the Decorah, Iowa eagles.
1: Yay, Minnesota eagles. Yes. Thanks, Nancy. uh, Yes, thank you very much, Nancy. And, uh, boy, let me know, or let us know on the bats how that works out for yeah. you. It's nice of you to care about them. And, uh, like I say, I love bats. I uh, Somebody called me yesterday and said uh, they were, uh, um, they claimed they were grumpy, but they were laughing, and they didn't sound very <laughs> grumpy. They said... Uh, there's a shortage of grape nut cereal and I said yeah I read that in like the the Washington Post or something uh, said there's a shortage of grape nut cereal and I thought my father favored them and so did Yule Gibbons who was a (laughs) spokesperson for grape nut cereal and said I remember one commercial he said ever eat a pine tree many parts are edible in a TV commercial. That was in a TV commercial. Uh, Gibbons wrote, he was famous for writing a successful cookbook, uh, which I have on my shelf somewhere here, Stalking the Wild Asparagus. And he said that grape nuts tasted like, uh, well, what he said was, taste like wild hickory nuts. A few people even knew what a hickory nut tasted like, but it sounded good, and I tried it. I called it gravel and recommended (laughs) that my father soak it in milk for about a week to make it chewable. And because of this, I hadn't really noticed its shortage on the... the grocery store aisles, but a lot of people have. It's a favorite of a lot of people, so they're hoping to get her back going again.
0: Well you know what it also uh, it looks like? It looks a little bit like kitty litter, the kind of kitty litter I used. I'm not saying it tastes like that, but I'm just saying there's a resemblance oh, there. Oh <laughs> gosh
1: No, I'm never gonna eat this stuff. So. I used yeah, to like I, it, boy, it...
0: <laughs> I used to like it, but I think it has weed in it, so I can't eat it anymore. But yeah. It, it, you're right. Gravel. It came in that
1: little box. that yeah, was smaller yeah. than most, and it weighed about fifteen pounds. This tiny <laughs> little box, yes. and you just shook it out of there. And there was no bottom to it. Dad was forever putting more <laughs> of that in. He would have grape nuts one morning and then oatmeal the next morning, so he alternated his morning cereals that way. Tom Bovers of, saw a brown thrasher and a great blue heron in Rice County. Chad Hines saw a merlin in Bluerth County. Mark Tackey had a Cooper's hawk in Brown County. Brad Abendroth, a merlin in Rice County. Bob Williams, a tufted titmouse in Rice County. And Michael Etkin in Rice County had a northern harrier and a varied thrush. So, a lot of great uh, birds coming through now. Uh, just moving around we'll be seeing a lot of waterfowl coming in now as the waters open up a little bit here and there so uh oh a listener uh, oh this is about one of your favorites karen a listener asked do voles <laughs> come into houses oh dear uh, voles want to stay outside yeah they i've never seen one eating. inside
0: yeah they don't No, come they
1: in. prefer eating karen's plant materials exactly. out there so the they and they don't do well indoors it's not a good career move for a vole, so they rarely enter houses so you're going to be safe from them and i know somebody's saying well i had one in there in january it, it certainly does happen on occasion but it's it's not a, a common occurrence and it, like i say, it's it, no good comes to the vole I hope everybody can get out and really enjoy this weather, I hope the the wind just dies down a little bit so we don't have to walk into it and when we turn around we fall down. I remember when I was a kid and when we were first married, we weren't, even then we weren't cameras with legs in those days like we are now, everybody has a camera. Then we took a roll of film to Rexall Drug in New Richland, New Richland Drug, for processing. And then we called every couple of years to see if the photos were ready or not. And the pandemic has caused my wife to review our photos and call the herd. I bet a lot of you are doing that same thing. And she came across a photo of a bear seen not long after we'd first married. And we, at that time, we thought all bears were like yogi Bear. He might steal your picnic (laughs) basket, but was otherwise no threat. Well, we left our lodgings at the Lutzen Resort in a friend's car. I'll call him Wally because that was his name. And Wally had this land yacht, and we all climbed in there, and we drove to Tofty in Cook County to watch the black bears feeding at the dump there. Wally had brought along marshmallows to feed the bears, and we treated the Bruins as if they were jet-puffed, marshmallow-loving, <laughs> huge hamsters. And we're, So we're tossing them out there, and the gulls were grabbing the marshmallows before the bears could, which I'm sure was ticking off the bears. And it caused one bear to seek the source of these spongy confections. <clears throat> Well, it came up and kind of snuck up behind us. We saw it coming, but we dove back into the car. And Wally had been taking photos of the bears, and in his haste to relocate, he left his camera on the roof of the car. And we sat in that parked vehicle, hoping to retrieve the camera when it was safe. Well, the bear came over and grabbed the camera from the roof of the car and chewed on it a little (laughs) bit and Covered the camera with how can I say this delicacy, delicately uh, bear slobber. You, <laughs> but he took he took no photos of bears. So uh, times have changed. Remember, folks, Heartliness while we're driving past. Thank you for listening to me and Karen. Thank you as always for your wonderful company. I look forward to Tuesdays.
0: I do, too, and, and we'll chat with you next week, and it's going to get up to 60 next weekend, so I'm guessing the birds are going to be starting to come back, and and it, we're going to just have a lot of fun wildlife to check out very soon. 60 degrees? Yeah, by next week, I'm pretty sure we're going to get there, so yeah. Can you believe it?
1: Have, have you got that in writing by somebody from the... Uh... The National Weather Service or something—they've signed it and had it uh, notarized, so we can we can count on that. It's funny yeah, I, how I have no they,
0: they change all the time. It's like I'll tell you—it's going to be two inches of snow, and then I'll refresh, and then suddenly it's none. So, so no, there's nothing in writing. Just saying.
1: <laughs> they are incredibly accurate, though. Really, when you think about it, for uh, all the things that come into making our winter, how good they are, particularly on the fairly short-term forecasts and things. They, I, you know, we like to pick on them, but they're good at what they do.
0: And that this means because uh, March came in like a lamb, it's going to go out like a lion. So I guess we'll have to see if that happens. And I'm hoping it doesn't, but we'll see.
1: I think it's just going to stay like Cardinals. Okay. And that's going to be it.
0: <laughs> I like that. Thanks, Al. <laughs> bye-bye. Yeah,
1: bye-bye.